0: Welcome to the journal.ie's The Explainer, where every week we take a deep dive into a different news story. I'm Michelle Hennessy, and this week, how secure is Ireland's food supply? For many people in Ireland, the closest they came in recent years to a national food shortage was the empty shelves at the supermarket in the early days of the COVID pandemic. Now, a very real conversation about the country's food security is taking place. Russia's invasion of Ukraine has had devastating consequences for the Ukrainian people. And while the effect on the rest of the world pales in comparison, there has been an impact. The conflict within Ukraine and resulting sanctions on Russia have led to global disruptions to wheat supplies. Prices of wheat have surged, and there's a potential knock-on effect for meat and dairy if farmers are saddled with additional costs for their livestock feed. Russia, now almost entirely cut off from global trade, also produces a significant proportion of the key ingredients and fertilizers, which are vital for growing crops. European leaders are now scrambling to put plans in place to ensure food security. Here in Ireland, the government is offering supports to farmers and asking them to plant wheat, barley and other grains. So how worried should we be about Ireland's food security? And what can be done to limit the disruption? I'm joined today by Trevor Donlan, who's head of agricultural economics and farm surveys at Chagisk. Trevor, thanks for talking to us today. No problem at all, Michelle. So when we talk about food security, what exactly does that mean?
1: Yeah I mean if we go back in time and think about what people originally imagined food security to be in its simplest form it was like that there was enough food produced in the world to feed everybody and that was a a very simple kind of global definition of what food security was but that definition has evolved a lot over time and people now more fully appreciate that food security is something that goes right down to a, a very local level so You know for example you can have enough food in the world but you might not have enough food in a particular part of the world so in more recent times people have been become much more concerned to ensure that there's adequate supplies of food uh, everywhere that people have access to that food the the means to to buy the food and that they're not worried about having access to food because if you're if you're living your, your life from day to day worrying about whether you'll have enough food to eat then that completely compromises your ability to do all the other activities that you should be doing as a person. So it's in the end all about having enough food available for people that they have access to it and that they can afford it and um, that it's available to them at all times um, throughout the world. So that's the, the ultimate objective with food security.
0: Is this about more than just the basics of meat and vegetables? Are we also talking about the things we use to make and grow our food, the fodder for animals, the fertilizer for crops, the fuel for farm machinery and transport?
1: Yeah, I mean, we don't normally, or the average person normally doesn't think about the entire food production process. You know, we, we tend to take it for granted. We, we we go down to the supermarket most of the times, the stuff is on the shelves, we, we buy it, we bring it home and we consume it. But you know, that's the very end of uh, a long chain of activities that that actually have to happen. And, and that begins in its simplest form with the production of things like artificial fertilizers, which are hugely important in terms of uh, the production of food globally. Much of those fertilizers are produced from, from natural gas. The fact that natural gas prices ballooned last year was the first sign that we were, we were heading into difficulty before ever this war in Ukraine uh, emerged and in addition to that we also have fuel which is an important constituent in agricultural production it runs all the machinery uh, that we have on our farms it distributes the food from farms to where it gets processed and from where it gets processed uh, all the way to um, the supermarket and then you also have the issue of animal feeds which are grains or oil seeds that are grown by farmers which uh, can then be used to feed animals to produce uh, meat. So yeah there are there are some important steps in the process there what we would refer to as agricultural inputs that have to be in place to ensure um, that the food production system uh, can run smoothly.
0: And there's a survey that's carried out each year that's often grabbing the headlines about how Ireland has one of the most, if not the most, secure supplies of food in the world. So how true is that?
1: It depends on how you define all these things, uh, obviously. Um, Ireland is a very unusual country uh, from an agricultural perspective. It has enormous export capacity in in some products, for example, about, you know, in excess of 90% of the milk that's produced in Ireland is exported. A similar percentage of the amount of beef that's produced in Ireland is is exported. I mean, the entire uh, demand for dairy products in Ireland could be supplied over, we'll say about a month in the summertime of of milk production in Ireland. So we have huge export capacity in, in certain commodities, generally in meat and dairy products. And much of the country, as you as you well know, when you drive around is grassland and farmers uh, are feeding our cattle, sheep, generally grass. Uh, but some of their diet as well is is made up of grain. Uh, much of the grain that's produced in Ireland is actually fed to uh, these animals. So the area where we're deficient in, I, I guess, uh, particularly or more conspicuously at the moment is that we don't grow very much grain in Ireland for human use. So we'll say the flour that's used in your sliced pan that you, you buy in the supermarket will be have been imported because we don't really have a suitable climate in Ireland to grow the type of wheat that's used for the type of bread that we consume on a day-to-day basis. So it's, it's swings and roundabouts. We're a very small country. that has to be taken in mind as well. So we've got a, a limited climatic range. So that's also going to be a factor in terms of the types of food that we're going to um, produce. But generally speaking, we're huge exporters in terms of meat and dairy. And we ha- tend to import then uh, grains in-, in particular, either for human use uh, or for-, for feeding to animals.
0: And just how much of our own food do we produce? I mean, presumably the, the dairy and meat is is high up there. What about everything else?
1: Yeah, again, I suppose we need to make a distinction here between what we call kind of primary commodities and actually the stuff that you you buy at the final stage of the process in your your supermarket, which in many cases can be um, processed food. And and while I said we're a huge exporter uh, in some categories, you only have to go into the supermarket each day to see that a significant amount of the food on the shelves is actually... Uh, imported food. So what, what you will find, to some extent, is that Ireland is exporting commodity type products. So we're exporting uh, dairy products, for example, and we may well then be importing other types of products. Um, you know you, you know yourself, if you go into the supermarket, you'll see a significant portion of the food that is on the shelves is um, from the, the UK in particular. We, we import a lot of final products uh from the the united kingdom so that's probably our single biggest source in terms of uh, food inputs um in, in, when you go to the supermarket
0: and people often cite the netherlands as an example of how much food we could produce here so could we diversify more
1: um we could potentially diversify more i think where you are in the world is extremely important the netherlands is located in the most densely populated part of Europe, if you if you get out a map and you look at population density, you'll see that the southeast region of the UK is an area of extremely high population density, as is the Netherlands, Belgium and the western part of Germany. So they have, the Netherlands has a huge immediate hinterland uh, in terms of its capacity to supply food to, to consumers that aren't too far away. If you contrast with it, that with ourselves, we're at quite a distance from the markets that we're supplying internationally. It certainly helps in our case if the products that we're exporting have a high value relative to the transportation cost associated with them. And it also helps if the products we're producing have a long, a longer shelf life because it's going to take more time for them to get to the markets that we're, we're servicing. Um, so the Netherlands has a lot of other advantages that we'll never have in in, in that regard if you understand me just because of our our location and our, our the distance we are from markets and this came up even as an issue in the the whole brexit discussion that the fact that we're we're we're, we're remote when you compare us with some other European countries in terms of where the the consumers actually are
0: so if we take grain and Ukraine out of the equation for a moment, because we'll come to them in a minute. What are we importing and where is it coming from?
1: Well, we're importing things like fruit and vegetables. Uh, Some of those are fruits and vegetables that probably wouldn't grow here uh, at all. Some of them are fruits and vegetables that uh, would only grow here at certain points of the year. And in other cases, we're importing uh, fruits and vegetables that are grown here as well. And the imported products are in competition with the products that are produced here in Ireland. Um, and the other main area of, of import, I suppose, is in respect of the grain that we feed to animals, grains and oil seeds, and also residual products from production processes. For example, if you think about the, the vegetable oil or the or sunflower oil you buy in the supermarket, to produce that we have to crush oil seeds and What's left over when you crush the oil seeds is what's called meal, and that's fed to animals. So we import that, uh, as well because we're not a, a producer of oil seeds here in this country. So we're importing quite an amount of uh, soybeans and maize, and those are two crops that don't grow well, uh, in Ireland or wouldn't grow well in Ireland. There's some limited production of maize in Ireland, but we don't really produce any soybeans, and and those are protein intense um crops which are are, are useful in terms of the uh, animal's diet.
0: I'm wondering if we were, for some reason, completely cut off from imports and totally reliant on just what we can grow and produce here ourselves, what would our diets look like? How different would it be?
1: Maybe it would be useful to go back in a time machine to the world of the 1840s before the famine uh, occurred. and and just even contrast that with what's happening today so nowadays about there's about eight and a half thousand hectares of potatoes grown in Ireland and from comparison um I think the Phoenix Park is probably about 700 hectares so you know think about an area about 12 times the size of the Phoenix Park that's not that's not a huge area of land but that's the entirety of the area of land in Ireland that's used for potato production and that that can produce almost enough potatoes to, to, to feed the, 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 our demand in Ireland for potatoes. If you went back to the 1840s, back to a world where there was uh, a lot less trade in food uh, at the time, then we had a situation where I think it was about 300,000 hectares of potatoes in, in the country. And back in those days, um, the average person was probably eating about six kilos of potatoes Per day, whereas nowadays you probably, if you eat potatoes at all at a meal, you're probably eating about maybe 200, 300 grams maybe of potatoes. So it was a very different world back then and a, a world where people had much less uh, diverse diets. So, it, I mean, if we weren't trading in food, our, our diet would become certainly less diverse. But I mean, we, we by no means would starve, but we might be quite bored in terms of what we had to eat.
0: And I want to move to talking about Russia's invasion of Ukraine. It's the main reason why we're in this situation that we're in at the moment. So, just how big a part does Ukraine play in Europe's food supply? Well, I mean, the first thing to say
1: about Ukraine, and it's not a country that people have thought very much about, I suppose, or think about on a day to day basis, it wouldn't be a big holiday destination or anything like that for Irish people. So, it's a bit of an unknown quantity, but the important thing to understand is Ukraine is a, is a, a quite a large country. You know, it's it's uh, the the largest country in Europe, really, if you exclude Russia, uh, for for comparison. And it also happens to be a, an extremely fertile country. It has agricultural land, which is referred to as black earth, so it's very fertile agricultural land. And as you get further and further into Eastern Europe, one of the things you notice as well, the terrain becomes flatter and flatter and you know if you go into parts of eastern Germany and into into Poland and into the Ukraine the landscape is like a a snooker table basically so it's it's very flat land fertile land and that's the kind of land that's ideally suited to producing uh, grains and oil seeds Um, and climatically speaking as well those regions are are very suited to that so the Ukraine's big uh, production capacity is in things like maize, like barley, like wheat, uh, rapeseed and sunflower seed. Those are all significant uh, commodities that are produced in the Ukraine and what's important as well is that the Ukraine is able to produce uh, enough of those products to be able to be significant exporters of those products to uh, other countries. So the Ukraine is an important exporter in particular if you you think about food production you'll find many countries around the world that are producing food but most of that food is being consumed in that particular country and they don't really have very much exports available to send elsewhere but the Ukraine is a particular example of a country that has a huge capacity to produce grains and oil seeds and has more than enough uh, to, to feed its own population and to be able to export significant amounts to uh, to other countries so that's why they're they're very important and why uh, the war at present and the fact that it may lead to a significant reduction in
0: production in the Ukraine
1: is is such a big deal
0: how did we become so reliant on imports of grain here why are we importing so much
1: you need to think about what what's going on i mean if you go back to the origins of um the European Union um, the whole idea of the European Union was about the countries that were involved joining together, exploiting what they were good at from an economic point of view, specialising into doing that and then exporting the extra, the surplus that they produced to other countries around Europe. The big difficulty Europe had after World War II is that the United States was a, a single entity and it became a, had become a hugely successful economy because there was huge amounts of trade between different parts of the United States whereas Europe hadn't evolved in that way because of the fact that it was a whole range of separate countries. So the EU uh, or the European Community as it was known back then evolved to try to rectify that issue so ideally what we want happening in Europe is that we are producing food in various countries with those countries in Europe specialising in the products that they're very good at producing. Exporting some of that product and then importing products from other parts of Europe, products that other countries are good at producing. So you see that happening in Europe. You see the southern European countries producing lots of fruit and vegetables, for example, and those get sold around Europe. You see the southern European countries producing uh, lots of maize, for example, and that being distributed around Europe. And the northern European countries then tend to be better at producing things like um, meat and dairy products and exporting those to, to other parts of Europe. So that's kind of the way the system works. So the idea that individual countries in the European Union should be food secure as a single entity is, is kind of not really where where the EU is actually uh, coming from. But to, I, I suppose to answer your question, maybe we, we could become more diversified in terms of what we're producing. The big challenge I guess is that if you suggest to farmers tomorrow that they should go out, for example, and grow more fruits and vegetables, the first thing they might say to you is, well, you know, the guys that are actually doing that at the moment aren't actually making very much money. So why would I go off and do that as well? Uh, If the the guys that are really good at doing that are finding it difficult to, to make a living from from doing that so there's a question there's two questions there do we have the climate to produce different products and on top of that do we have the capacity to do it in a way that means that farmers will make money from doing it
0: and when can we expect to start really feeling the impact of the disruption to supplies of grain yeah i mean
1: that's that that is actually beginning already and i mean it'll happen it'll happen I guess in a, in, a, in a number of ways. It'll happen in terms of higher prices for products that incorporate uh, these grains. So if, if wheat prices escalate, then ultimately that's going to result in uh, higher prices for uh, foods that, that contain wheat. So the obvious one there being bread. But it's also it's also going to have an impact on the cost of feeding animals. So ultimately what it's going to do is it will feed through to higher prices for for meats and it will feed through to higher prices for dairy products. So when you take into account as well, we've got higher fertilizer prices and higher fuel prices. You know, we've got the three Fs as we call them in agriculture, fuel, fertilizer and feed. All of those have dramatically increased in price. So the end game out of all that is going to be, substantially higher uh, prices will have to be paid to farmers in order for them to uh, to produce uh, those foods. So that will happen, that's beginning to happen already. Um, you know, we've you know, seen, for example, increases in some food items in the supermarket already, and it, it will continue uh, over the course of the year, basically. Typically, we see these things happening in a, in a chain. So the first thing that will happen is The the price of products that are made from grains go up and then at a later stage, you will see things like uh, price of chicken going up, price of pork going up, dairy products and and ultimately things like beef and lamb. So there will be higher prices across the board as a result of all this.
0: And I'm wondering how bad could this actually get? And is it really just about people having to pay more for, you know, bread and flour and, and, you know, eventually meat and things like that? Or will we start seeing it's difficult to find those things that, you know, it's the demand is so high across the world that maybe in some places you can't get flour anymore, you can't get bread anymore? I guess we had
1: that problem uh, to some extent during the, the the real height of the covid pandemic where there just wasn't product available in some cases and and there was a range of different reasons behind that. Some of it was down to production difficulties. some of it was down to logistics. Some of it was down to people just buying a lot more of the product than they actually uh, needed, which can be a problem in in of itself because you can have you know, in some cases it's possible to have, Enough food available, but because people are some people are going out and buying, you know, more than they actually need uh, because they're hoarding the product, then, then other people will end up having uh, an insufficient amount and and maybe not be able to to access it. But when we think about what's happening um, at present, um, I'm not sure that we're going to see significant shortages of food in in our part of the world. Anyway, at least what we will see or how we will see this manifesting itself is in terms of higher prices and those higher prices are themselves a problem because if you're on a low income even though the food may be there in the shop you may not be able to afford to 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 buy it so you you know Irish people may not starve as a result of this but you will see people particularly on lower incomes and probably will be saying well look I can't afford to buy as much meat as I used to buy I'm having to buy cheaper food products than I would like to to have by, uh, to be able to to, to to eat. That's how it might manifest itself in, in, in Ireland to a greater extent. So there will be, there may be a need for government to, to intervene on that in terms of uh, ensuring that people on low incomes have uh, adequate amounts of money to buy food.
0: And in terms of interventions, can you tell us about the National Fodder and Food Security Committee that was set up? What will it do to help? yeah i think that that's there for
1: uh, i guess for a number of reasons it's uh, it's there uh, i think in the one of the first instances therefore is to ensure that we do have uh, sufficient supplies of uh, feed for for animals in in, in this country um, over uh, certainly the next 12 months anyway yeah and it's there for a number of reasons it would you know the the fertilizer one which we talked about the fertilizer price increase was going to be a problem anyway for farmers before this ukraine uh war uh, emerged so the the committee will be trying to identify problem areas and solutions basically to try to ensure that there's enough animal feed available number one the committee is also trying to ensure that we would increase the amount of grain that's produced um in this country and that will also then be beneficial if it happens in the sense of it reducing our potentially our import demand. And that will mean then that there will be more grain available to go to, to other countries. Um, the real problem here of higher grain prices is that this will have much more of an impact on people uh, in, in developing countries whose income levels are much lower. So those people are already spending a much bigger share of their income on food. So when food gets more expensive, that's a huge problem uh, for people in developing countries.
0: And in those developing countries, I mean, could this be the start of a famine, for example, or extreme food scarcity? And and which countries are you expecting would be impacted most?
1: Yeah, I, I mean, this this will have to be monitored carefully and organizations internationally, like the, the Food and Agriculture Organization, which is part of the United Nations, um, will be monitoring this issue. Very closely, and it and it and it could it could potentially be be quite a serious issue. Um, it will depend to some extent on to what to what extent prices are increase uh, over time. Um, but there are countries that have significant um, import demand for grains. Countries in Africa, countries some some of the poorer countries in the Middle East, and as you move into Asia as well, you have countries there that are that are. Uh, potentially quite vulnerable to uh, large increases in prices, and we 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 have seen something like this happen previously. Uh, there was a big spike in prices back in 2008, and and that spike came to an end abruptly when the, the financial crisis broke in 2009. But for a period then, uh, we had a lot of political, uh, geopolitical uh, disruption. In some of these low-income countries because people were out protesting at the high price of food and we're starting to see that happening in some parts of the world again now this time so that's that's a potentially serious issue that just goes beyond the whole issue of food availability because you're starting to get into the world then of geopolitical instability and it just illustrates to go back to my my, my point at the very outset that you know, having enough food is a super critical thing in terms of having even stable societies.
0: And I want to talk about the impact of Brexit in the short term. Should we still be worried about it causing problems for consumers and producers?
1: Yeah, I, I think I think Brexit is still, to some extent, a concern in, in relation to these issues. I think at the same time, it has been superseded by what has happened over the last kind of six months or so. The challenges around the, the higher input prices, I think, have now superseded that from a farmer's perspective, certainly as uh, the important issue at the moment. Uh, I, I I certainly don't think that people are lying awake at night or politicians are lying awake at night worrying about, particularly about Brexit from the food aspect at the moment. I think they're they're, they're more concerned ultimately about um, the, what has happened uh, in terms of Europe's relationship with Russia and obviously the war in Ukraine in terms of how all this is panning out.
0: And another big disruption in the long term is going to be climate change. So what are the main steps that Ireland needs in order to mitigate against that in, in terms of what we produce ourselves?
1: Yeah, I think it, I think that's a difficult one. Um, you know, the, the types of changes uh, that will happen from a climatic perspective, in in Ireland specifically, as we understand it, are not going to be particularly uh, dramatic. We're 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 less vulnerable. I put it this way than than people potentially in southern Europe. Um, you know, in parts of southern Europe, you know, things like water availability are are already uh, a concern at particular times of the year. That's not really the case in the part of Europe where, where we're located in. We are told at the same time that we will see some climatic change in this country, changes to um, rainfall patterns over the course of the year um, and a slightly warmer uh, climate than, than we currently have. But, but in the broader scheme of things, those changes are are not as dramatic as what might be ahead for for, for other countries. I think the important thing in, 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 in terms of climate change to understand is that agriculture will evolve and, you know, agriculture has been evolving for um, for, for centuries now and it will continue to evolve in response to the, the threat of climate change. So there will be a job there for uh, scientists, for example, to develop new varieties of, of crops, for example, that can better cope with the stresses of uh, changes in climate or there may be a need to kind of review the types of things that we grow in particular parts of the country. So, you know, the climate change might make it more difficult for certain activities to happen from an agricultural perspective in Ireland, but equally it could make it easier to produce other, other types of activities. So it's hard to know what the overall consequences of it will be, to be honest, at this point in time and there will be huge economic consequences potentially as well so the the price for products will, will change as well uh, over the course of the future so that could that could have an effect as well so it, it's a, it's a really it's a really tricky question uh, to answer to be honest
0: Trevor I want to thank you so much for coming on today I think it's a really complex topic there's so much in it and I reckon it's one of those ones that people have been sort of afraid to ask questions about because they feel like they should already know um but there's a lot in it and thanks so much for going through it with us
1: no problem Michelle it's nice to
0: talk with you thanks to everyone who listened to this episode of The Explainer and thanks again to Trevor for joining me this episode was brought to you by producers Eva Barry and Nikki Ryan and my co-host Gronny Nyeh If you liked what you heard and you want to support The Explainer, there are a few things you can do. You can head to thejournal.ie forward slash contribute to become a monthly subscriber or you can leave us a rating and a review as well if you're feeling generous wherever you listen to your podcasts. Thanks again for listening. Until next time.